been to um, a Hall of Fame, a sports Hall of Fame? Like the football Hall of Fame, basketball, baseball, I guess there's a hockey one, and maybe for some other sports. But think about what you know. I remember we went uh, on a trip around the country, and we wound up in Ohio for the football Hall of Fame. And it was better than Disneyland to me. And, and it helps that the Raiders pretty much dominate the hall. But anyway, um, <clears throat> uh, murmuring's not very Christian, you guys. I just, uh, no. Uh, but in a given sport, right, that's what a Hall of Fame's about. Inductees uh, that, that line the halls, decorate the various halls of this sort of Hollywood place in the sports world are all stars. The place is filled with people, men and women in their sports, that are, let's just call them superstars. And then let's just say something about all pros for a second. All professional athletes, just by definition, are, let's just call them outstanding athletes. Uh, you don't make that cut. You don't get that contract unless you're really stand out like amazing. Hall of Famers, however, are more than pros. They're, my kids call it extra. Okay, they got something extra. In fact, um, they have it, we could, could almost say of sports people like that, they have it all uh, on and off the court or the field or the ice. Okay, you with me so far? Now, next question. What gets you inducted into the spiritual hall of fame. Did you know that Hebrews chapter 11, where my Bible is turned to, and I'd like you to turn there as well this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 is, um, is correctly called a spiritual hall of fame. Uh, this 11th chapter of Hebrews. It's a uh, chapter in the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, there's very little Bible left by the time you get to Hebrews. Find your way there. It's really worth a look. And go on your phone if you have to that way. That's fine. But you'll come to a chapter where it's populated by notable names of standout people throughout the Old Testament. So every name you're going to find in this 11th chapter um, 40 verses, are all populated from the Old Testament. This is New Testament that we're reading from. So the writer of Hebrews 11, we're not sure exactly who that was, but this writer reaches into history past and, and, and he draws or she draws the names of important standout people from the Old Testament. It's a single chapter, therefore, filled with May I say it? Spiritual celebrities. Now, look up celebrity and you'll say, no, that's not a misuse of the word. They're head turners. If one of them walked in here right now, you'd go, oh, you're that guy. Whoa, I, I, in fact, I've read your story. Did it really go down like that? I mean, was it, were the odds all against you? You know, I want to ask that of so many that are in this chapter. These are people, these are perfect people. These are, these are better than the rest. Or so one would think. Like sports hall of famers, um, 
a sound assumption would be that spiritual Hall of Famers are super achievers who are, as we just did, applauded by God for great accomplishments, right? You, you know me too well. You sense this is a setup. And it kind of is. Because actually that assumption would be, would be actually a wrong assumption entirely. I'm not sure if I'm happy or want to cry when I say that to you. You decide. Um, to be fair, some on this list, and I hope you take time. I'm enticing you like crazy. Take time today and read the list again. Some on, on this list did impressive things. They really did. But not all. Uh, in fact, some, uh, <laughs> some are listed in this chapter that leave you doing what I've done a lot whenever I turn here. I scratch my head going, how'd they get there? How or why is that person's name listed there? By the way, that's not being crazy on my part. I hope you read the Bible that way and go, huh? If what pastor's saying here is true, but if these are a gathering of really important people, how did some of those people make this list? That certainly would be true of four names in a short verse taken from a really long, very bad season of Old Testament history. Um, even so, without exception, all of them make this spiritual hall of fame for exactly the same reason. Now, hopefully you're about to grab a pen and reach for your sermon note page and write this down. The exact same reason uh, is behind every single one of them finding their name into this list. All right? It's a two-word expression that repeats 19 times in chapter 11. By faith. Would you write those two words down? By faith. Uh, <clears throat> the... <laughs> Let, let me say at the start of this message something about faith. The word itself appears more than 500 times in the Bible. So even if you're brand new to the Bible or you're just kind of cracking it open and blowing off some dust and going, what's the big themes here? E even a casual reading, you have to go, whoa, faith's got to be a pretty important one. To, to be a word used 500 times, that that kind of makes it a big deal, all right? So 500 times in the Bible. But the, but, but the reason um, that these people are in this chapter is the same exact reason anybody stands out in a list of people before God. The same reason these people found salvation is exactly the same way anybody hearing my words right now in this house or out uh, live stream this morning is saved. Exactly the same way. 
by faith in a Savior. His name's Jesus. May I say, while you're thinking on that thought, let me tell you what that excludes, works. In other words, there's not an exception. You can find some really cool people here. I mean, Abraham and Moses, hello, did a lot of cool stuff. But that did not grant them the ultimate wish, desire, longing, need in their life, which was salvation. None of that converted into a place in heaven. Are they there today? Yes, they are. How did they get there? The same way you and I get there if we surrender to Jesus Christ by, say it with me, faith. faith. All right, so we're, we're tracking together. Um, every person named here gained approval. I want you to look at these, just this opening verse. Now, faith is confidence, it's defining it, in what we hope for, and assurance above about what we do not see. So you don't have faith in, in, in something. You don't have to have faith in your car. You see it. But this is somebody that we don't see. Watch verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, isn't that a great, it's kind of an honorable way to speak of elderly people, right? <laughs> uh, maybe not so. But uh, anyway, um, that's what he's describing the people in this list. The ancients were commended for what? Their faith. Um, we would be wise to keep that truth in our minds and near to our hearts as, as we talk this morning um, and um, take in a reality that comes just four verses later. Without faith, would you look at verse 6? You can't please God. It's impossible. For he or she who comes to God must believe that he is, that's faith, and that he will reward you for diligently seeking him. All right. Um, so as you look down this list, I'm going to turn the page to verse 32 and take you right to the verse that I alluded to earlier. It's a single verse. And you're going to say, well, pastor, why are we jumping through all this other stuff? Actually, I did a series out of Hebrews 11 that was uh, a detailed look at every single life that appears on this list some time ago. You can go online and find it. But here, I want to focus on verse 32. And you say, well, pastor, why are we going to do that? Well, here's the deal. Those first four names in verse 32 are four names from this study that we're part of in the Old Testament called Judges, the study of Judges. Uh, we're calling the series Choices, Doing What is Right. All right? And there, you come to verse 32, and you find yourself looking at a single verse where four people from the book of Judges are mentioned. Okay, so let's just read the names real quick. And you'll notice there's a couple of additional names that aren't from Judges, um, the very uh, first prophet, Samuel, and the first king, David, or second king after Saul. Okay, so what What more shall I say, he says. You get a sense in those words that he's been clicking through person after person, celebrity after celebrity, and he comes to this place where I'm running out of ink. I don't have much more space to capture the rest of these names. I don't have time to tell you about, here they are, Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. Of course, he goes on to mention David. 
and Samuel and the prophets. But the four in that verse, we just read them. They are Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. Now, if you've been part of this series, you know that, wait, wait a sec, there's, that's only four. There were 12, were there not? And that would be true. There are 12 judges that make up the book that we've been looking at. These are just four of the 12. And you'll recall the, uh, the, the judges that led and lived among Israel serving as deliverers from really difficult stuff, spanned a 325-year stretch of time from the death of Joshua to the beginning of, of, um, of Saul, the first king of Israel. So um, <clears throat> why the four? Why did he choose? You can guess why only four of the 12 are showcased. And I almost went that direction. But you know what? I found myself concluding it would be speculation. It'd be me making a guess. You know me enough to tell you that. I would not be pretending that I know it with certainty. But I started to back off, and, and I did so because I, I really don't know why just these four. Okay? So full, full disclosure. Instead, I want to stick to a couple of statements this morning and just develop them, and we'll be done that are true of these four for sure. They were, um, I'm going to call them compelling for me, very, per very personally compelling, inspiring even. The more God started to show me this, the more I went, I can't wait for Sunday because I get, I get to tell some people a, a discovery that to me is like, like wow. Um, so it brings it, let me bring it down to two impressions, and if you've put your pen down, pick it up, because I want you to write both of these down. And then, I do this from time to time, you have a lot more homework than I'm going to, um, I'm not going to be able to explore all this. In fact, we're not even going to go to Judges this morning. I'm going to tell you where to go when you go to Judges this afternoon, okay? All right, you with me? So you get to write this down, but here is the first of two impressions that draws these four together uh, and begins to um, address something that I think is a take-home for all of us. Okay, the first is this. Each of the four judges, say their names again, Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, each of these four judges who were used greatly by God were flawed. Flawed. What's that? F-L-A-W-E-D. There we go. Each of these four judges, used greatly by God, were flawed. I don't, I don't mean secret flaws that you have to search for and squint to see. No, no, not those at all. I'm talking standout, for the record, Noted clearly flawed. They are, they are failings. These are, these are imperfections that you cannot miss. It'd be like going to a football hall of fame and seeing a, a, a statue of a, of, a, of a great football player holding a basketball. You'd go, huh? 
There's a mistake here. That's, on, that's intended. Same is true here with all four of these. They are flawed people and you don't have to search. So here's, let's just click through them quickly. The first in his list, it's not exactly the same chronology as in Judges, in Hebrews is Gideon. Would you write down next to his name on your notes, chapters 6 through 8. That's your assignment this afternoon. Read Judges chapter 6 through 8. And you will become acquainted with Gideon. Gideon's told by an angel that uh, the Lord was with him to rescue his people from a really awful population of people known as the Midianites. They were bad people. They had been bad for a very long time. And, and Gideon's told, you're going to deliver those people. And God says to him what you would expect God to say when he's calling you to do something that's bigger than you, I'll be with you. You can count on me. Hey, Gideon, don't sweat it. I'll be with you. And in spite of God's repeated reminders and reassurances, Gideon asks not for one, but for two proofs that God's going to go with him. You ever heard the name or the word fleece next to Gideon's name? Okay. He, he, he actually was, was in this grain uh, like silo and, and there's a, a, a sheep fleece and, and uh, Gideon says, okay, wait a second, wait a second. You got a big job for me, God. Uh, tell you what, um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, and he worked this deal this, uh, tomorrow morning. If that piece of sheep fur or whatever is uh, wet and the floor around it's dry, then I'll take that as a sign. That'll be the confirmation I'm looking for. Next morning, it happened exactly the same way. And he goes, hey, <laughs> time out. <laughs> Got another one for you. Can we flip it? And then tomorrow morning, let's make... The only place down there, the only place where it's dry is the sheep, the, the, the fur. And, and everything else is wet. Twice. I've got to make sure I've got this right. Two signs as proof. You're saying, well, pastor, where's the faith? I hope you're saying that. Because any way you look at it, it's like, wait a second. Gideon, God told you, wasn't that enough? Uh, apparently not, because then he showed you. And wasn't that enough? Once again, he answered like me. No, I wish it was. I'm weak. Help my unbelief. Remember the Father in the New Testament? I believe, help me in my unbelief. Yet Gideon's here. He's leading the list. We quickly come next to Barak. Not Barak. <laughs> uh, Barak. His story, would you put next to it? Judges chapter 4. Okay? Here's the deal that you need to know right away. His name is almost never mentioned without the name of the woman judge at that time, Deborah. So you hear them always together as Deborah and Barak. All right? Now, Barak, 
um, is called by Deborah to um, carry out a mission for God. And the mission was to neutralize, wipe out a, a, a group of people um, led by the Canaanite king Jabin was his name. And um, he was a menacing guy, but he had a really, really awful army commander named Sisera. He was vicious, Sisera was. He didn't just, you know, vanquish the enemy. He just, he was a torturer. He was as bad as some, you know, names in our history of, of, of really bad people. And so Barak is told by Deborah, look, God's sending you, mighty warrior, and God, God will be with you, but you're to go take on Sisera and you're to vanquish the enemy. How did Barak handle that? Well, if you could hear, you see my knees shaking? I, I'm guessing it was that. I'm not sure what was behind it. Barak's very words, Barak's very words were, I won't go if you don't go with me. You can make all you want out of that. But it was a holdback. Part of me wants to ask him, bro, did I get this wrong? Or where's your courage, Barak? God told you through Deborah, the judge, that you're going to be the one to take care of this problem. And here we are in Hebrews 11 with his name in the hall of faith, right? He's in the hall of fame. By the way, Deborah was the one that said to him, and because we have to do it this way, and she did, she showed up, and uh, Jael, another female leader, Deborah said to him what is true, that this victory that is coming actually won't be credited to you, Barak. It's going to go down in history as a victory credited to a woman, spoken by the only female judge of the twelve, Deborah. Uh, so where's your courage, Barak? Stop. Look at me. You got faith here. You got Barak over here. Not a whole lot of courage in that. Look, I'm, I'll, oh, sheesh, you want me to do, okay, listen, I'm not going unless you go with me. I don't know if it was a courageous thing or he didn't really know God very well, and she did, which would be smart on his part. Whatever the case you see in the not-so-hidden flaws? Hold on. Let's go third to Samson. He's one that we all know. Chapter 13 to 16. You get a lot of reading today. It'll be good for you. All right? So chapter 13 to 16, you come third on the list to Samson. So Samson possesses, he's a possessor of huge power and, and strength. And with it, loads of God-given potential. Samson. He's the guy. Supernatural strength. The story is so worth reading. And he, at that time, had racked up some really big wins against the Philistines. Really big wins. Like tattoo kind of wins. Right? This is, this is head-turning stuff, Samson. You you ready for the rest of the story? Well, Samson apparently had this little not-so-hidden personal problem. 
he, he, had, he, he, he would lack moral character. Not once, but multiple times. He was with people other than his wife. He did things that you just go, you can't, it's like an asterisk next to a, a, a famous baseball player that can't get into the Hall of Fame because he cheated doing whatever it was. Well, they won't even induct him, but if they did, they'd put an asterisk next to his name. You'd go, hey, he did some good things. But boy, he cheated. In this case, he, he's probably the standout underachiever in the bunch. And you know how his story ends? I'll let you read it. But, but in, in one great final push of strength and might, he actually, it was a form of suicide. He died in the process. It's one of those really, this is a bummer. Hold on. We're ready now for one that doesn't get a lot of attention and in my personal opinion, doesn't deserve it. Okay, that's pretty harsh. I'm sure I wouldn't make the list either in some ways, but most shocking of the four. No, most shocking of the 12 is, uh, and he's in the Hall of Fame like the rest, is Jephthah. Um, his story is told in chapters 11 and 12. Okay? So write that down. That'll be the last little assignment. So the Israelites had been, the Bible says, shattered and crushed and oppressed by now by the Philistines for almost 20 years. If you think of what we've been through with COVID or something hard, Imagine if it's really personal and you're one of those people that, that um, is, is hated because of who you are. You're an American and we don't like Americans and we're going to get you. We're going to make life miserable for you. This is going on, though, for almost 20 years. So they're shattered. They're, they're crushed. That means they're crestfallen. They're like, it's just going to be another miserable day for us. And so God says that's going to end in chapter 10. And God raises up Jephthah. And what you need to know about Jephthah is he was a great warrior. Uh, somebody described him as a mafia stud. Okay, he's a bad hombre. Bad, bad Leroy Brown, only he goes by Jephthah. And he's the guy you call if you're just wanting somebody to take care of business. Um, and and he is about to go out and settle God's affairs. And for reasons that still don't make sense, he said to God, listen, uh, to hedge my bet, to guarantee a good outcome, I'm going to put something in front of you, God. I promise that when I come home victorious, the very first thing out of my front door, I will sacrifice to you. He says this, give us victory and I will sacrifice to you whatever comes out of my house and I will as I return in triumph. What came out his front door um, proved that his vow to God was one that he would regret the rest of his life. It was his daughter. It's a horrible story. It's one of those stories you don't read to children. Um, 
Now, each of those things could be called, called disqualifiers. Every one of the ones we've taken time to think about. Um, the kind that keep you out of the Hall of Fame, really. But all four of them made it. They're here and on display for all of us to see. You read their names as I did. Flaws and all. Uh, showing us that God, that, 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 that God, all four of them, though flawed, could be used greatly by God, and they were. Leading to this second insight, this significant insight. Here it goes. God is not blind to people's faults. Would you write that down? He is not blind to people's faults, but he looks beyond them. looks beyond them. Isn't that why you and I are kind of drawn to people like this? I've told you some of the dirt. It's not hidden. But we're drawn to them because we, we go, wow, they still somehow made it. Isn't that why we were drawn? We, 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 we hear imperfect people did something cool. God used them in some way. And we go, what's that say about God? You ever thought that way? I do. I do for myself. Um, I, this is all Old Testament. If we had time, we'd take, just take the two top people, the standouts in the New Testament. Think of, I think of Peter and Paul. There's a lot of other names. If you think of Peter, you, you know somebody that denied Jesus, oh, one, two, three times, denied even knowing him. And then he founded the church. How come I can tell you that? That's the God we know. It's the God of this Bible. Here's another one. Paul? Paul was this really persecuting person. He killed Christians, you know. He hunted them down. In fact, was heading on a hunting expedition up north to find more Christians and eliminate them when he met Jesus Christ on that road. To Damascus, it's called. And on that road, he became the apostle and the expander of the church. People, the Bible is filled with names, with people full of flaws who are used mightily by God, who isn't blind to their flaws. He just looks beyond them. Now stay with me. It's really important stuff. Because um, it struck me that this is the story of salvation, is it not? It's the story of sin and salvation. So sin is a summary word that describes people like me, like you, with flaws and failings. By the way, there's no exception to that. Romans 3.23 says all of us have sinned. So there it is. We got a problem, a sin problem, all right? But then salvation comes along, and salvation is that ultimate gift given by the holy God who looks at our lives, sees our flaws, and forgives them. Romans 6.23 says, all of us, after all of us that we've established all have sinned, 
For the results of that sin, the wages of that sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a beautiful sort of one-two step. It's a, it's, a, it's a reality that comes together. But, but here's the deal. Um, God's willingness to look beyond people's flaws, it suddenly strikes me, is really at the heart of the gospel, is it not? His ability to see what I, my shortcomings are, they're not hidden, what yours are, but to look past that is at the, go- the core of the gospel. Um, I want to read some words from the New Testament right now that haven't probably been read by many of us um, unless you heard a sermon from me. They're from Paul's writings to Titus. And he says this, uh, that the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion, sin, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age as we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us sinners to redeem us from all of our wickedness. There's the word flaws again. He did that, and he made it possible for us to be born again. Um, Then Paul says this. It's a trustworthy saying And I want to stress these things so that those of you who have trusted in God may be careful to devote yourselves to doing good. Live like he made a difference in your life. These are excellent and profitable things. Um, I have a conversation fairly frequently with people. Over the years, it's been an appointment made by somebody, sometimes a conversation over the phone, sometimes an email where somebody will say to me, Hey, Pastor, I've really messed up. And some of the details of those messes are epic. But they come in and it takes one some, some form of somebody that has messed up but can't see beyond their sin. They can't see any hope of moving past the mess that they have made. You know somebody like that? I have that conversation a lot. I, maybe it's because they're looking for some sort of secret sauce or a magic fix or something, I don't know. But it kind of goes like this. I wrote it up because this is a little bit of how it sounds. So we kind of start the conversation saying, okay, so you have failed, right? We have established that. So where you go from here forward depends on whether you believe God can forgive you or not. Oh, you can't can't etch a sketch the past there but what you do what what you do in the future how you move forward from here depends on whether god you believe god can forgive you or not it whether you believe the biblical pattern of god using imperfect people or not do you hear the danger in what we're reading here 
You wouldn't be the first person that went, yeah, well, that worked for them. Lucky. That's not how this Bible is supposed to be read. Back to my convert, imaginary conversation. It's not really imaginary. This happens a lot. Uh, whether you have faith in a God who sees your whole life, your faith as well as your failures, and can still work with you. That's really what those conversations are about. Um, I have to tell you, I, have big, I had big plans for this message uh, to pour over a lot more details than we had time for this morning. But I've got to tell you something that happened to me. The Holy Spirit actually stopped me. I, I really did. I, I spent probably as much time as I've ever spent on a message, maybe times two. Because the Holy Spirit stopped me because I think it was because my focus was on their failing. You're saying, well, you did a pretty good job of that today, Pastor. You know, it's true. There's, they're there. You can't hide it. But I, I don't want to leave you barely noticing the, the things that God did through them anyway. Let me use the word despite them. Because I, I would remind you where we started, they're in the Hall of Fame yet. So I came to see them differently. The further I looked at their lives. I used to say things about Jephthah, I'm not gonna, I will not meet with him in heaven. Not like he would want to meet with me. But I wanted to punch him out. I wanted to go find him in heaven. I was so ticked off when I read his story. And I used to say that's kind of a silly thing to say, but I used to say that because I just, I couldn't see past his failing. You ever run into that in the Bible? How about in your own life? You just go, man, it's it. This is it. Close the book. There's no next chapter for me. You been like that? We've got to stop that. The, the grace of God says, no, um, it's appeared bringing salvation to most of you, how many? All. To all of you. And then it says, now, clean up your act. Stop sinning. How's that for a great approach? The grace of God came to give you salvation and then to say, all right, let's get busy scrubbing you clean. He catches fish before he cleans them, right? You've heard that. Well, it's true in our sin. So, so, so here's the deal. I came to see these guys differently, and, and um, I have a song. They, they're part of a quartet, and I wrote a, only a one-verse song. Okay, I think you're going to like it. This, I, don't, I haven't worked out the music for it, but I got the words. <laughs> Quote, we are flawed, there's no denying it, but God used us to bring him glory anyway. Do you know that he still does such things? Will you trust him to do so with you today? Huh? <laughs> right? You guys are. All right. Um, I have a single truth and a single story that I want to leave you with as we wrap up. Told by two different people who never got over, not once got over, God's choice 
to use them, to make heroes of them, despite their flaws. Intrigued? Here's one more. They live centuries removed from each other. The first, the Apostle Paul. He said this firsthand, singular, about himself. How God looked over his failings and found a use for him. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, said Paul in 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. Who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though, he talks about his baggage here, it's not hidden. I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in in ignorance and unbelief. He's still talking about himself. But how gracious and generous our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. And then he brings you, if you're tired of listening, out of your seat and says, this is a trustworthy saying and everybody should embrace it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, ready? And I'm the worst among them. You're looking at as bad as it gets. But God had mercy on me so that in Christ Jesus, he could make a prime example of his great patience even with the worst of sinners. Then others, like us, will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And that's right, amen, because all praise and glory and honor goes to Jesus. That's the first story. The other one is told by Chuck Colson former special counsel to uh, President Nixon back in the late 60s. Some of you remember his name. I met him when he ministered at a church I served at in California, and I was super impressed. At first, I thought I was going to you know, get an autograph. And I realized this man isn't interested in that stuff. He's been changed. These are his very words. He pled guilty, by the way, to obstruction of justice. And uh, he was the first defendant to serve uh, a prison sentence for the Watergate scandal in federal prison. So um, he described in his own words how his life had been the perfect American success story. His office door opened to the Oval Office. Mine, mine doesn't quite swing that wide, right? Uh, he's, he, he, he could have an audience with the most powerful man in the world without being scheduled. He could actually order up a jet, a military jet to take him anywhere he wanted to go in the world without permission. You feeling the power now? the power, right? Oh, by the way, pretty smart guy. He had 15 honorary doctorates. 
pretty much run circles around me. Um, I only have 14. Just a joke. Just a joke. Um, here, here it gets really serious. He surrendered to Jesus just before serving his sentence. And years later, Chuck Colson, reflecting on his surprising legacy in his book, Loving God, wrote of a truth I think that Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah could all say. I'm quoting. The real legacy of my life, says Chuck Colson, was my biggest failure. Take that in. That I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation being sent to prison, the big house, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. He chose the one experience in which I could not glory for his glory. Only when I lost everything that I thought made Chuck Colson a great guy had I found the true self God intended me to be and the true purpose for my life. And he concludes, it's not what we do that matters. It's what a sovereign God chooses to do through us because God doesn't want our success. God wants us. We got to be convinced of that, people. We're going to sing now. And I hope you'll take the time today to ponder deeply the lives of those other people. Um, and we're going to sing a song that... Um, has to do with an offering. The offering's your heart, my heart. Um, would you bow your heads with me this morning? Have you come to that same conclusion that Colson came to? The Apostle Paul came to? If, if, if so, you know what? It's going to show. It will. And if not, why not? If you haven't come to that conclusion, you're going, no, there's an asterisk next to my name, Pastor. You don't know the details. Why does God use flawed people to do great things for his glory? Isn't that a basic question? Could it be said that that's all he has to choose from? Did you hear me? You're not different than me or the next person. Why does God use flawed people like us? Where else would he look? There are no exceptions. None of the judges and heroes could take credit for their achievements. Not one of them but all could give credit to the one who chose them and chose to use them in heroic ways despite themselves. He still does that. So I want us to sing of the same truth as a prayer and a plea that he would have his way in you and me.
Lord, I thank you. I give you as a fresh offering from me the keys, no, the seat behind the wheel of my bus. Lead the way, Lord. Use me, and I will give you the glory. Persuade my brothers and sisters who are stuck on stuff they've done. Convince them that they too can sing this song, mean these words, make this a prayer to you, and begin to be used mightily by a God that isn't blind to what they've done. You've just moved on. You look beyond. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Let's stand.